If you've got your Bibles with you, church, this morning, I want you to open with me once again to the book of Romans, chapter 12. And while you're looking for Romans 12, I want to say uh, how happy we are to have not just our Legacy Church family watching, but those of you who, watching, who are watching Legacy Television, we're glad to have you with us as well. Get your Bible, get into the Word of God with us today and let the Word do in your life what only the Word can do, which is bring change from the inside out. Today, as we get back into the Word of God together, I want us in agreement. You know, there's a lot of power when you and I agree. Jesus said, if two or more would gather in his name, he'd be there in their midst. And if they would agree as touching anything, it would be done for them. So I want us to be in agreement with each other today. And I want you to be expecting to, to see something from the anointing that's on me. And I'm going to be expecting to see something from the anointing that's on you. What am I talking about? I'm talking about both the anointing to say it and the anointing that's on you to see it. There's an anointing to say it, but there is an anointing to see it as well. And this is what's supposed to be happening every time you and I get together in the Word of God. You know, soon and very soon, we're not going to be getting together like this. We're going to be hanging out in this room, in this sanctuary. We're going to be shouting. We're going to be singing and praising and worshiping God. We're going to come together around His Word just like we are now, except we'll all be in the same place. And this place will be full of an atmosphere of faith and love. Love. I'm declaring it. I see it in Jesus' name and it's coming soon. But as of right now, what I want us to be in agreement on today is both for, for the anointing, for the manifestation of the anointing in this service, the anointing that's on me to say it and the anointing that's on you to hear it and to see it. In Romans chapter 12, <clears throat> this has been, excuse me, the foundation <clears throat> of the series that we've been in together over the last couple of weeks. And when we began coming to you uh, from the sanctuary, um, which you can tell is still under construction, uh, and we have made some good progress this week. A lot of the progress is actually behind um, the, the backstage areas here, some good things that are going on. But little by little, we're seeing it every day, every day, day after day, week after week. And soon this place will have undergone a complete transformation and that's what this scripture that we're looking at in Romans 12 is all about. And the Lord has been so good to us to use what's going on around us in this natural environment to paint a picture of what's supposed to be going on in our hearts and in our minds all the time. This renovation and transformation. Let's look at this in the book of Romans chapter 12. Verse two says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? by the renewing of your mind. That word renewing, when you look it up, literally translates to renovation. That's what he's talking about here, a renovation of the mind, a change in the way that you think. And the result is transformation, total life transformation. And we're not talking about a few little tweaks here and there. We're talking about being one way one day and going through this renovation process, giving it the time that it takes and coming out on the other side, completely transformed, unrecognizable to who you used to be. And I know many of you have been walking with the Lord for a number of years now. And if those people who knew you back, 
you know, high school, back in college maybe, if they could see you now, they'd say, man, what got into this guy? What got into this girl? Well, it was a transformation took place. You were one way, but when you allowed the renovation to take place on the inside, in your heart and in your mind, it transformed your life. And that's supposed to be what's going on in our lives all the time. Just like this building is going through a renovation and a transformation process, you and I are supposed to be experiencing that same thing. Let me read this scripture to you. Well, I'll finish reading it from the New King James. Then we'll look at it together in the New Living Translation. Again, verse two says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here's what'll happen as a result, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen to it from the New Living Translation. If you don't have that, we're gonna put it on the screen for you. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Man, can you hear that? Let God transform you into a totally new person. How does he do it? by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, there, there ought to be one big thing, one main thing on our minds as believers, especially as it, when it comes to how we live this life and what we do with the time that we've got here. We ought to want to know one big thing. God, what is your will? I want to know it. I want to see it clearly and I want to commit to it fully. That ought to be big to you. That should be big to me. And the way we come to know it and to know it with confidence, to know it without any confusion, but to see it with total clarity. What is God's will for your life? What your purpose is on planet earth? The way you come to know that and to walk it out and to prove it starts with changing the way you think. And that's exactly what the scripture is talking to us about. Talking to us about mind renovation and life transformation. If you're willing to put your mind under construction and go through the process, then you can experience total and complete life transformation. And like we talked about a number of weeks ago, there's things that we've learned in this building process that actually parallel to the, to the spiritual building process that takes place on the inside of us. Uh, we talked in, in last week's service about demo day. You remember that? I mean, every renovation project has to have a demo day where you go in and you rip out things that don't belong in there, things that are not gonna hang around for the transformation. You, you tear up floor, you tear down walls, things that won't last, things that you can't depend on, things that won't hold up. The, the new structure that can't support what you're about to put in, what do you got to do? You got to rip that stuff out. And just like every renovation project has to have a demo day, you need one. I need one in the way we think. We've got to rip out old ways of thinking that aren't true, that aren't right, that aren't built on the truth and replace them with the truth 
of the Word of God. So if you've missed any of the last couple of weeks of services, uh, they're available to you for free. Uh, we put them on the Legacy Church podcast. You can watch them again from the LegacyChurch.Family website. We wanna make sure you keep getting this into your heart and into your mind. But I wanna go on in our study of this today, continuing to talk about mind renovation, life transformation. I want you to say those four words out loud. Say, say this after me, mind renovation, life transformation. If you are willing to go through the renovation process, you can experience total life transformation. We're here in the book of Romans in chapter 12. I want you to turn back with me to chapter eight and let's look at a couple of things together. In Romans chapter eight, thank you, Lord. Look at verse five. Romans chapter eight, verse five says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds, where? On the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, he said, the things of the spirit. Or you could say they set their mind on the things of the spirit. He says in verse six, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is what? Is life and peace. So we're seeing here two different opposing mindsets. He said those who live according to the flesh. Now, when he says flesh, He's talking about the five physical senses, living in this natural physical world, what you can see, taste, touch, smell, feel, this natural world. Those who live limited by, is really what he's saying here, what they see, what they can touch, what they can feel. If you live by the flesh, he said, that's what your mind is going to be on. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you don't, if you're not even aware that there is a world outside of this physical, natural world, if you're not even aware that there's a, a whole other realm called the spirit realm, then your mind can't be on things, the spiritual things. Your mind is going to be limited to and be on all the time what you can see, what you can touch, what you can feel. He said, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, they set their minds where? On the things of the spirit. Now, a couple of things about this. When he talks about what your mind is on, he said in verse six, to be carnally minded, to be spiritually minded. I wanna give you a number of words here that I think are gonna help make this clear. When he says, when he's helping you and I identify what our minds are on, he's talking about the things that we are aware of. Awareness, what are you aware of? To set your mind on something is number one, to be aware of it. So to set your mind on the things of the flesh is to be solely aware of the things of the flesh. To set your mind on something doesn't simply just mean to be aware of it, but it also means to give attention to it. So not only are you aware of this, but now because of your awareness of it, you're giving attention to it. Whether it's the things of the flesh or the things of the spirit, it's whatever you're aware of, 
that has your attention. Whatever you're aware of most has most of your attention. But it doesn't just stop with awareness or being aware of something or giving attention to something. The more attention you give to it, soon you'll start showing affection toward it. So when he talks to us about what our mind is on in helping us identify what our mind's on, he's saying, what are you most aware of? What are you giving attention to? What are you showing affection towards? And if you'll notice this, there's only one of two choices. Your mind is either on the things of the flesh or it's on the things of the spirit. Now, there's a couple of things we need to make note of here. I, know, I, I believe we have far, way, way, way too underestimated a couple of things. Number one, the significance of what we think about. We have underestimated the significance and the importance of a thought, of what's on our mind. And number two, I believe we've underestimated our control over it. Your mind is your mind. And you can think on whatever you choose to think on. See, we've underestimated the significance, the importance of what we think on. And we've underestimated our own ability that we have to control what we think on. And you might think, well, this is just, this is just something I've been thinking about. It's just my thoughts. It's not that big a deal, right? Well, evidently it is a big deal because he said, depending on what your mind is on, to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded, he said, is what? Life and peace. Life and peace. Now, peace, peace is one of those things that as born again believers, full of God's Holy Spirit, this is one of those things that's supposed to define our lives and the way we live our lives. We, we should be known for our peace that we live with. These high levels, great big levels of peace that we live with. Peace is supposed to define us. The peace that we have that passes all understanding, or in other words, how you have peace when it makes no sense to have peace. Let me think if I can see if I can think of a good example. I don't know. Let, let's say that there was some virus that spread all over the world. I don't know. I'm just making something up here. And like it was affecting everybody everywhere and markets were shut down and cities were shut down and businesses were closed and people everywhere were panicked about contracting this virus. But somehow, some way in the middle of it, you went all the way through it with peace. I'm just making something up. But you can. And as believers, we should. Our lives are supposed to be different. You've heard me say it before and you'll hear me say it time and time again. There is supposed to be a difference between us and the rest of this unbelieving world. And one of those big differences is our peace. The peace that we live with. Now, this is a good way to tell, to find out What's been on your mind? You want to find out if you've been hanging out in the flesh way of thinking or in the spiritual way of thinking? Check your peace. How much peace do you have? If you're constantly worried, if you're constantly troubled, if you're constantly anxious, 
then your mind has been on the things of the flesh. Because if your mind was on the things of the spirit, you'd have life and, say it with me, peace. You would have peace. Isaiah said it like this in Isaiah chapter 26, verse three. We'll put it on the screen for you. He, in talking to the father, he said, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. The absence of peace is the product of a wandering mind, a mind that is just allowed to think whatever, to go wherever, but you have more control over it than you thought you did. And it's important that you do control it. It's important that you do learn how to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ because it can mean the difference between life and death. So to be uh, spiritually minded means to live with an awareness of, an attention to, and an affection for the things of the Spirit. See, there, when you start talking about this, the vast majority of this world is not even aware that there is a spirit realm. They don't know that anything beyond what they can see and what they can feel exists. They're not aware of, of the spirit reality. So if they're not aware of it, then all their responses are gonna be solely based on what's physical, what's in the flesh. And their mind is only going to be on the things of the flesh. But when you become aware that there's more to this life beyond what you can see, beyond what you can touch, beyond what you can feel, beyond these five physical senses, when you become aware of the reality of the world of the spirit, you become aware of it, the next thing you do is start giving attention to it. Do you remember what the scripture said in Proverbs chapter four? My son, give attention to my words. Give attention to my words. And I believe if you look at the context of that and really take what the writer of the book of Proverbs was trying to impart to his son was, was this simple fact. There's a lot you can be listening to. There's a lot you can be feeding on, but what he's saying is, hey, hey, come on, pay attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Why? Because my words and my sayings, the Lord says, will be life to you. They will be health to your body. They will be like medicine to you, strengthening you. Not every word can do that. As a matter of fact, only one word can, and it's the word of God. So you have to find out where your attention is going. What are you most aware of? Because what you're most aware of, you're giving most attention to. But after you give attention to it, then you begin to, to develop an affection for it. And you begin to see that, man, God, your, your word is life and it's my life. Your word is health and it's my health. You begin to make this mind shift change from being, setting your mind on the things of the flesh to setting your mind on the things of the spirit. And what I wanna do in the time that we have together in the word today is I wanna show you just how serious this is. Just like we read here in Romans chapter eight, verse six, it's the difference between life and death. It can be the difference between living this life with no peace or living this life full of the peace of God. Go with me back to the book of Matthew, chapter 
16, please. Matthew chapter 16, and I want to begin down around verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So these were in the days before one could Google one's self and find out what everybody was saying, find out what the popular opinions were. Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? What, what are people saying? Huh? What, what are, what's the general consensus of the people about who I am? It's a good question. In verse 14, so they said, well, you know, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. He said, others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So kind of a lot of different opinions out there floating around about who Jesus is. It's not unlike today. Uh, you might find a lot of people, uh, you ask, hey, who do you say Jesus was? Who do you say, uh, what's your opinion of him? And you might get a bunch of different answers. Well, he's a good teacher. He might've been a prophet, a holy man. But Jesus after his disciples answered the question, who do men say that I am? He asked them a far more important question. Actually, it is the most important question that anybody could be asked and that anyone could answer in this life. Jesus asked them and said in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? See, this question far outweighs the question of who do other people say that Jesus is. It's who do you say that he is. See, your eternity hangs in the balance of how you answer that question. Who you say that Jesus is. The answer to that question is life or death. Who do you say that Jesus is? In verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Jesus asked, okay, that's who men say, who do you say? That's what everybody else says about me. I want to know what you say about me. And Peter's like, oh, oh, oh pick me. I know I, I got this one. Pick me, Jesus, pick me, Jesus. And Jesus said, yes, I see that hand. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You notice how all the other opinions, well, they were, well, you know, he might be one of the prophets, but Peter's answer was he's not one of anything. He is the, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. See, there was a blessing. There is a blessing attached to knowing the right answer to that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? And if you get the answer right, there's a blessing attached to it. The right answer is exactly what Peter said. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus turned right around and said, yeah, and you're blessed. You are blessed. Somebody say it out loud. I'm blessed. Say it again. I'm blessed. Why? Because I know who Jesus is. 
because I know who Jesus is. There's a blessing. There is the blessing. But I like what he said to him in verse 18. Well, well, back up just a minute. Let's talk more about verse 17. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Why? Why was Peter blessed? Because Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. In other words, you didn't get this from somebody else. You know, honestly, that's what tradition is. It's, if you define it, it's one thing handed from one generation to another, to another, to another. That's tradition. And honestly, that's why there's no power in it. But there is power in revelation. There is power in you getting something not from somebody else, not because it was handed down to you, but because you heard it from the Father in heaven. That's revelation. That's God turning on the light for you. That's God ripping the cover off and you seeing Jesus for who he is. And it's not something somebody else handed to you. It's something you got directly from God. That's revelation. And there's life changing power in that. And Jesus said to Peter in verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Isn't this awesome? See, in this moment, Jesus was able to reveal to Peter what his identity was. But that couldn't come until Peter knew what Jesus' identity was. See, you'll never find out who you are until you know who he is. Your whole identity is wrapped up in a revelation of who Jesus is. You'll never know. Jesus can never reveal to you who you are, his plan for your life, the call, the anointing, the grace of God that's on your life until you are willing to build your life on the rock of the revelation of who Jesus is. And who is he? He is the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus told Peter, I'm going to build my church on that revelation right there. The church isn't built on Peter. That the, the name Peter itself, is, it literally means a, a small or a fragmented rock. But what Jesus was saying is, you are a piece of the big rock. And what is that rock? The revelation of who Jesus is. Glory to God, Peter got that straight from God. And he said to him in verse 19, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He starts talking to them about the authority that they have as the result of living with this revelation of who Jesus is. It says in verse 20, he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Now look at verse 21. From the time that Jesus or excuse me, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. See, all of this is important. It says from that time, what time? From the moment they got revelation about who he was. From there, he could begin to unfold to them the future. Here's what's coming. Here's what's going to happen. And 
you know, you and I have the luxury of 2,000 years of understanding, looking back on it, what happened, why it happened. But these guys are hearing it from the first time. For the first time, Jesus is telling them, here's what's going to have to happen. I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to have to suffer these things at the hands of the rulers and the elders and the priests and the scribes. I'm going to be killed and raised again the third day. I, I can only imagine what this did to the thinking and the mindset of the disciples. Well, you can see what happened. Verse 22, notice what happened. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Get the picture here. Peter, Peter, who just a few verses ago, I mean, he's still high on the fact that he got this revelation straight from God that Jesus publicly in front of all the other guys called him blessed and told him that, that the revelation that he got was what he was going to build the whole church on. So evidently that did a lot for Peter's boldness and confidence because when Jesus starts talking about everything that's going to be happening to him and how he'll be killed by these religious leaders, Peter, Peter looks at him and says, Jesus, Step into my office. Can I talk to you for just a minute here? He pulls Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke him. Now what's happening here is Peter is assuming a place of authority that has not been given to him. That's pride. That's what pride does. Pride assumes that it has a higher place than what it actually does. Peter has not been given any kind of place to rebuke the master, to rebuke and correct Jesus, to tell Jesus, uh, <clears throat> you're wrong. He's taken a place that isn't his. But here's what's powerful. What Peter said to him is, far be it, from you, Lord, and this is coming as a rebuke. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. This will not happen to you, he said. But I want you to notice Jesus' response. Verse 23 says, he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Whoa, whoa, get behind me, Satan. Look at your neighbor, whoever you're sitting there with and say, that escalated quickly. Yeah, it did. Peter just pulled Jesus aside and maybe with a good heart, I don't know. He's rebuking and correcting Jesus. But Jesus' response to this, he just took it to the extreme and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, when the scripture says he turned and said to him, you look that up and it literally means to turn the back. Jesus literally turned his back toward Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Now we've heard this before. We, we, we know poor Peter had to endure this very intense correction. And I, I'm not quite sure what he was thinking in that moment. Jesus, Jesus, don't call me the devil, man. I'm just trying to tell you, I don't want you to die. And, but Jesus had to respond in this way. How many of you know Jesus is not an overreactor? This is not an overreaction. He is not an emotionally driven person. 
And if you read through the rest of this chapter and on through the rest of the book of Matthew, you will never find where Jesus came back to Peter and said, man, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what got into me. I overreacted. I, I shouldn't have called you the devil. That was wrong. There's no apology. Why? Because Jesus is not an overreactor. In other words, this is the right response. Get behind me, Satan. And we've heard this talked about before, but if you go on, keep reading here in this very same verse, you find out why Jesus responded on the level and in the way he did. He said, you are an offense to me. Other translations say you're a snare, you're a trap, you're a danger to me. But notice why. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So here's Peter who just, I don't know, a few hours or a few days ago, got this awesome revelation of who Jesus was and is and he got it straight from God. And it was like God was speaking, not just to him, but through him. And here just a little while later, now you see that he is completely yielded to the devil. And I'm not saying he was full of a devil or anything like that, but I'm saying it's possible. If you get lifted up in pride, if you start getting a big head about, ooh, God said this to me and God said that to me, and you get over into the way of thinking that every thought you have comes from God, that's not how, just because you thought it doesn't mean God said it. Let me say it to you like that. And Peter experienced something pretty intense here with Jesus, but again, it was not an overreaction. This is the right response. He said, you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Here you see Jesus talking to Peter and to us about the difference between being carnally minded or spiritually minded. And again, I told you these things, we have far underestimated the significance of what we think about. It's the difference between life or death. It's the difference between yielding to the Spirit of God or yielding to the devil himself. Now listen, I am not one of those guys who, who likes to give the devil any more attention than is necessary. I'm not one of those guys who sees a devil under every rock. I'm not one of those guys who's always casting something out of this or casting a demon out of that person just because they sneezed. That's not me. That's not how I do things. And that's, I don't believe how Jesus was. But again, this is the right response. Evidently, Satan is actually making a play here and Jesus is calling him on it. Now you remember in the book of Luke chapter four, after Jesus had come up out of the waters of baptism, he went into the wilderness and he was there 40 days and 40 nights and he was tempted by Satan. And in response to every temptation, you remember what Jesus said? It is written, it is written, it is written. He responded to every temptation with the word of God. And the scripture says that Satan left him for a more opportune time. So Satan left him from that point, but he was always looking for another opportunity to tempt Jesus. And what we're seeing in scripture is another one of those opportunities. Because when Peter said to Jesus, far be it from you, Lord, 
These things will not happen to you. You look this up in some of the original language and really what Peter was saying was, Jesus, take it easy. Pity yourself. Pity thyself is what the the original language says. Have some self-pity here. This isn't going to happen to you. And whether Peter realized it or not, what Satan was using him to do was to pull Jesus' mind from being spiritually minded to being carnally minded. And the reason he was doing this, Peter was in essence saying to him, Jesus, what are you talking about? being killed. What are you talking about being captured? You don't deserve that. You're good. You've never done anything wrong. And he was trying to get Jesus to focus back on himself. And this is a trap. I said, this is a trap. To be carnally minded is to be totally and absolutely consumed with self. How do I feel about this? Do I deserve what I'm going through? I deserve more than what I have. It's pulling the attention, the awareness, and the affection back onto self. What I see, what I feel. And it's Satan. I I wish there was a, a kinder, gentler way of saying it but this is not an overreaction. This is the right response to recognize that as a trap from the devil. Because if Satan can get Jesus focused on himself, you know, Peter, maybe you are right. You know what? Man, I have done a good job here. I don't deserve to go through all that. Really, there shouldn't be any need for me to have to do that. And you know this struggle is real. You know it was real for Jesus because just a few chapters from now, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, moments before he goes to the cross, what's he crying out? My God, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, you know that this thing, this this struggle is real in him, that he is literally being tempted to walk away from what is the God-given assignment and call on his life, which is to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. But he's well aware of not just the, the, the physical brutality of it, not just the physical pain of it, but the separation from God that he's gonna have to endure. And this temptation is real to walk away from that. Why do you think he came back to the disciples there asleep in the garden and said, could you not watch and pray with me for one hour? He said, watch and pray that you don't enter in to temptation. Now, I used to read that for years thinking, yeah, guys, wake up. Wake up, you're being tempted, what? To sleep, to doze off. But he's not talking just to them about whatever temptation they might face. He's talking about the temptation that he was facing right there in that moment, the temptation. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is the difference here. What's he gonna set his mind on? The willingness of his spirit or the weakness of his flesh? Now, don't get mad at me because I'm telling you Jesus had the same weak flesh that you do, but that's what made him man. 
And he had the same choice to make that you and I have to make every day. Where will you set your mind? If you mind the things of the spirit, it'll be life, it'll be peace. If you mind the things of the flesh, it will be death. And he had a choice to make. He had a choice to make it right there in that moment. And you can see that this, this tug of war has been going on in him now for a long time because when Peter gave voice to that and said, hey, 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 come on, man, pity thyself, Jesus. Come on, don't go through, you, that's not gonna happen to you, you're wrong. Jesus had to respond to it in the way that he did. He had to turn his back on it. He literally turned his back. What does that represent? It means I'm not hearing this. It means I'm not acknowledging this. It means I'm not feeding on this. And that's why I said, get behind me, Satan, because you're not mindful of the things of God. You are only mindful of the things of men. And that's why I said to, he turned to the rest of the disciples. So they're all seeing this. They're all watching this go down. And he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. He said, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let me read that to you from the Weist translation of this scripture. I'll back up to verse 23. It says, and having turned around, he with his back turned to Peter and Satan said to Peter, be gone under my authority and keep on going behind me out of my sight, Satan. A stumbling block you are to me because you do not have a mind for the things of God, but for the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone is desiring to come after me, let him forget self. Let him forget self. Now hear me right now, church. This is not politically or culturally correct, but it is Christian. It is Christianity correct. Forget you. Forget self forget own interests, forget the, 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 the living in this, merely in this sight and physical and natural realm. If you are gonna follow Jesus, you will at some point have to forget self. He said, forget self. He said to his disciples, if anyone is desiring to come after me, let him forget self and lose sight of his own interests and let him pick up his cross and carry it and let him be taking the same road with me that I travel. For whoever is desiring to save his soul life shall ruin it. But whoever will pass a sentence of death upon his soul life for my sake shall find it. This is the way you and I are called to live. Not mindful of the things of the flesh, but mindful of the things of the spirit. To carry your cross means to recognize I have an assignment from God. I have a call of God on my life. Regardless of what I think, regardless of what I feel about it in the moment, 
I am willing to forget myself and pursue his plan and to take the same road that Jesus is taking. It's an interesting thought, but if you consider it living motivated by self-preservation can actually get you killed. Living motivated by whatever it takes to, to make me feel good, to make me feel right. There's no life in that. There's no peace in that. And this, this living with a, a, a motivation of self-preservation, what you end up doing is you end up projecting expectations on other people and you look to them as your source. Why? Because you're consumed with how you feel and how you don't feel and how you wish you did feel because you have not lost sight of self. It's just self on the mind and self-aware and self-attentive and self-affectionate. But this is to be carnally minded and this is death. It's death. It's the death of relationship. It's the death of fellowship. Because when you put expectation on other people like that, it doesn't make you fun or pleasant to be around. When you treat somebody else like they're God, they can't live up to that. They can't meet needs that only God is able to meet. But this is why you and I must change the way we think. We've got to go from carnally minded to spiritually minded. If we're spiritually minded, then we're aware not just of self and flesh, but we're aware God is spirit. And those who worship him, they have to worship him in spirit. The, 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 the outward demonstration of worship and all that, the physicality of it really doesn't mean anything at all unless it's coming out of the heart and the unseen part of you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Being too self-aware causes you to put expectations on other people, holding them responsible for your well-being. This is ungodly and it's a trap. It's a trap. So if Jesus' response to it was actually the appropriate response, get behind me, Satan, then that should be your response too. When you start thinking on these, these totally self-aware, flesh-aware, feeling-aware, and when you find your mind hanging out there and camping on that, you, in the moment you wake up, you need to say out loud, wait a second, that's the devil. That's Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And absolutely rebuke it, refuse it, and turn your back on it. And refuse to put expectation on anyone or anything else to meet any need that you have. That expectation belongs on God and on his word. Thank you, Lord. So in the last couple of minutes we have here, let's answer this question. How do we change our minds from carnally minded to spiritually minded? How do we change? Because if it's life or death, I want to know. If it's worry or peace, I want to know. I want to know how to be a spiritually minded person. So how do we make this change from carnally minded to spiritually minded? 
minding the things of the flesh, minding the things of the spirit. Let me tell you something. You can change your whole mentality in two words. You don't know what they are? I repent. I repent. And that's what the word repentance literally means. It means a change of mind. And when the word of God and the spirit of God uncover in your mind a way that you've been thinking that is way too me-minded, flesh-minded, how I feel-minded, when the word uncovers that, then the first thing out of your mouth needs to be, I repent, I change. Now, repentance, I believe, happens one of two ways. One, when you see it in the word and you recognize, okay, I've not been living this. This is different than the way I've been thinking. This is different than the way I've been feeling. You can repent far before you ever feel different about it. You can say, I repent before the, the mentality itself ever changes. You can repent by faith. You can, you can repent before you feel it. And you can say, Lord, I, I repent. I changed my mind. I repent for allowing that me-mindedness to go on this long. I repent of that. I ask you to forgive me and I receive forgiveness. So that's one way repentance comes. That's one way we demonstrate it is just by faith way before you ever feel it. But the other way repentance occurs in our life is simply by feeding on the word of God. This is what the word of God has power to do. And when you feed on it, you feed on it, you feed on it, what are you doing? You are becoming more aware of this than what's natural and physical around you. To feed on the word is literally you demonstrating an awareness that there is a world outside of this physical, natural world, that there is a spirit realm. Why else would you be reading this? Why else would you be feeding on this? I mean, you could be reading anything. You could be watching or listening to anything. But if you're watching, watching, getting the word in your eyes, listening to it on an ongoing basis, time in the word, continuing in the word, like Jesus said, that's how you become my disciple, he said. When you do that, you are increasing your awareness of the spiritual world. And what that does is it goes to work in the way that you think. And you look up one day and you realize, you know what, I just don't think the same way I used to. Things that used to be important to me, things that used to be valuable to me, I've, I've changed my mind. I think differently about that now. How do we change our minds from being carnally minded to spiritually minded? Feed the spirit side of your life. Feed the spirit. If you have to, turn off some entertainment. If you have to, turn off some news because all of that is serving to reinforce old ways of thinking and start feeding the spirit side. How do we change our mind? You can change it in a hurry. I repent, Lord, I repent. And when that old thought comes up again, you turn your back on it and with the same authority Jesus spoke, you speak and you say, get behind me, Satan. I'm not moved and I'm not motivated by what I feel. I am not carnally minded. I am mindful of the things of God, which includes being mindful of his call 
and his will for your life, which is where we started all the way back in the book of Romans chapter 12, that when you renovate the way you think, then life transformation comes and you prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But to even understand what his will is, it means you're going to have to have a change in the way you think. That's why Paul prayed for the church in Colossians. And he said, I pray that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, you're going to have to think differently about this. You're going to have to come at this from a spiritual viewpoint. And honestly, this is why people don't get us. This is why people don't understand us. This is why we get mocked. This is why we get made fun of. Why? Because when a, when a virus hits planet Earth and a pandemic spreads, we think spiritually about it. Our first thought is not, what do I do naturally? Our first, not, our first thought is not to panic. Our first thought is not to fear because there's no answer in the, in the natural world. Our first thought is a spiritual thought. Lord, what does your word say about this? How do I respond to this? And this is why people don't understand us. And this is why we don't really get them because we value something that they have no frame of reference for. But our mind is on something else. And I, for one, am happy with it. Why? Because to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Come on, say thank you, Lord. Say thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you. Father, we worship you. We glorify you. Right now, I want you to do this. I want you to turn your awareness, your attention, and your affection to the things of the Spirit. The Spirit world is real. It is just as, if not more so, real than this natural, physical world we live in. And you need to increase your awareness of it. And you do that just by asking the Lord, help me, Father. Help me to be more aware of you. Now, when we talk about setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, I, I, I'm not, I don't mean to imply that you just walk around with your eyes like halfway rolled back in your head and praying in tongues all day and you never have a natural or a carnal thought. No, I, that, that's not possible. We live in a natural world. We have to do natural things. I noticed just here recently, I, I was walking the trash from the garage to the end of the driveway, which is a very natural thing, right? I mean, there's nothing spiritual about that. But I, I caught myself just in the steps from the, from the house to the end of the driveway. You know what I was thinking about? You. Now, there's no connection between you and the trash. I'm not trying to say that. What I'm trying to say was I was thinking about our church. I was praying over, praying over this, over this message, over this time together. Here I am doing a very, very natural thing, but my mind is on something else. It's, it's, it's about having an increased awareness of the things of the Spirit. We can be more aware of the Spirit than we have been. How do we do that? We turn our attention. We attend to his words because the more aware you are of something, the more attention you give to it. And the more attention you give to it, the more affection you begin to show it. And I think about this in light of, of my relationship with my wife, Sarah. 
You know, whether we're together or we're apart, we've spent nearly every day of the last almost 13 years together. I am very, very aware of her. And that's what love is. That's what love does. That's how love acts and operates its awareness. I'm aware of her. I'm aware of her feelings. I'm aware of what she thinks. I'm aware of her presence. I'm aware of her when we're together and when we're not together. And my awareness of her causes me to turn my attention towards her. Same thing with my children, Justice and Jesse. Because I'm aware of them, I'm attentive. Attentive to their need, attentive to their desires, attentive to their feelings. And the more attention I show to them, the greater affection rises up in me for them. Well, they say, you, you can apply that same thing to your relationship and your fellowship with God. Increase your awareness of Him. Increase your attention to His Word and your love and your affection for Him and for the things of the Spirit will grow. Let me pray for you today. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray over the Legacy Church family and this awesome congregation that you've added to us. And I thank you, Father, for the good work you've begun in us. And Lord, we as a family are committing to you that from this day forward, we are increasing our awareness of you and the Spirit. We are increasing our attention, giving attention to your word. And we thank you, Father, for this, this increase of affection that comes out of us for you and for the things of your kingdom and for your church and for your people. And Lord, I'm asking you to help us. Help us change our minds from being carnally minded to spiritually minded. And Lord, we will be quick to recognize when we're being too me-minded and we will rebuke that We'll turn our back on it. We'll pick up our cross, our assignment, and your call in our lives, and we will follow you, Lord Jesus. Say it out loud right now. Say, I will follow you, Jesus. Say it again. I will follow you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We glorify you. And Satan, we take great pleasure in reminding you that you are defeated that you have no place, you have no right, you have no lot with us. We resist you, we rebuke you, and you must flee from us in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for it. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, listen, we love you. We look forward to seeing you again. We can't wait till we can get together in person when there is no social distancing between us. Give you a big hug and high five and not be afraid of any of it. But uh, we are so thankful for what God is doing in our lives and in this church and stay in faith with us. And, and as you look around, uh, don't get hung up on what you see. Get your eyes over onto what it will be, not just what it is. And do the same thing in your life. We're all under construction. We're all going through this renovation and transformation process. And the end result is glorious. We love you so much. We'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. 
If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.